Well, one night a teenager, a teenage girl brought her new boyfriend home to meet her parents. They were appalled at his appearance and his attitude. He had spiked hair, several tattoos, piercings, various places throughout his body. The mother pulled her daughter aside and just as calmly as she could expressed her great concern. She said, dear, this guy doesn't seem like a good person. He doesn't look like a reputable person. What are you, what are you thinking? And the daughter replied to her mother, mom, if he wasn't a nice guy, he wouldn't be doing 2,000 hours of community service. <laughs> well, that's a different kind of community service. I'm afraid the daughter was a little naive about that. This morning, we're looking at, and I'm speaking on the topic of service, as Paul deals with it, but I don't mean community service, something that forced upon an individual to repay the crimes that they've committed or atone for some wrongdoing that they've done. The Bible has a lot to say about service. Service to others is one of the marks of true Christianity, and it's one of the marks of, of biblical spirituality. Uh, when we're uh, rightly related to the Lord, we want to serve. We want to serve God. I often tell people when they're coming into ministry, being ordained in the ministry, really you're undertaking a, a, a life of service. To serve God means to serve people. The two are inexplicably tied together. If we're going to serve God, we serve God by ministering to people, hence the name minister. So uh, it is a true mark of Christianity. And really before us is a, a little bit more personal passage. Paul is talking about to the church at Philippi about two of his associates, two of his understudies, and what they're doing. So there's a lot of kind of detail, personal detail in this section of Scripture. But, but Timothy and Epaphroditus were ordinary saints, we would say. And that's what the Bible calls believers, saints. They were ordinary saints who did more than just share the good news. They were good news. And we all should be doing both. We should be sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and telling people how to be rightly related to God, but we should be good news ourselves. I often sign things, 2 Corinthians 3, 2, ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Kind of a verse I've taken as a pastor, that that those that I minister to are living letters. They're sermons in suit. They are, you are our letter of commendation. Paul is saying to the Corinthians in that passage, I like that. So these men were sharing the good news, but they were good news because they served others. So as we look at this kind of personal text of Scripture here, Paul's dealing with some details. I've arranged my outline around three charges, maybe we would say. Take what Paul is saying and then apply it to us. And three charges that I see here in our text. So let's read the first verse of our text, second, uh, second chapter, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Paul says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, when I know your condition. 
So I'm deriving from that, first of all, cultivate sincere interest in all people. As a Christian, if you're going to be a good servant, you're going to be a minister of the gospel, you're to cultivate a sincere interest in all people. Take an interest in people. A little background here. Paul won Timothy to Christ. You probably know that. He won Timothy to Christ on his first missionary journey. You can read about it in Acts chapter 14 and following. The Bible tells us that apparently Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, were believers before he was. And then Paul led him to Christ because Paul says in 2 Timothy, the faith that was in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, I see also in you. Now cultivate that faith, he tells him. So Timothy was the son of a Jewish mom and a Gentile father. But Paul considered him his son in the faith. He was his mentor. He was his father in the faith. He had brought him to Christ. So he became not only his son in the faith, but he became his uh, uh, missionary accomplice. And then he became the pastor at Ephesus and served Paul in many different capacities. Now, Paul was a missionary. We would call him an, a missionary evangelist. That's really what an apostle was. An apostle was a missionary evangelist. They took the good news of the gospel and they spread it throughout the ancient world. So Paul was a missionary evangelist. Missionaries usually get pretty good at writing appeal letters. I get them every week. I read every one of our missionary letters every time it comes, okay? Missionaries learn how to get good, and I'm not, I'm not poking them, okay? I'm not making fun of them, but they get very good at writing missionary appeal letters because they have need. Maybe their car broke down, maybe they're trying to build a church building, whatever, and the people that they're ministering to have very limited income if they're in Africa, someplace in Asia, whatever. So they write back to the states and all their supporting churches, and they write an appeal letter. This is what, this is what I need. That isn't what Paul does here. Paul could have, Paul could have wrote a letter back to the church at Philippi and said, I'm here in prison in Rome, and it's a horrible situation, and it was. He said, I'm here in Rome, and, and I'm in a horrible condition. I need your help. Could you please take up an offering or several offerings and then send it to me uh, to help me with my needs? But that isn't what is Paul, Paul said. He doesn't say send it ASAP. In fact, that isn't in his appeal at all. Instead, Paul in this letter inquires to how the Philippian believers are doing. The people that he had led to Christ and started the church there at Philippi, he's not talking about his needs as a missionary that's now been incarcerated because of the Roman law and hatred of the gospel. He's not talking about his needs. He's inquiring about their needs. It shows you the kind of person that Paul was and how he operated. Matter of fact, he sent Timothy to find out how they were doing and to help them take the next step in their spiritual progress. So Paul had Timothy ministering to him in prison because he couldn't meet his own needs and Rome didn't provide for him, so Timothy was meeting Paul's needs. But Paul was so concerned about the Philippian church, he sends Timothy away from him to the church at Philippi to find out how they were doing because he was worried, and then to minister to their needs and tell them how Paul was suffering for the gospel. 
Now, frankly, there were probably hundreds of Christians in Rome. Matter of fact, Paul greets 26 of them by name in the last chapter of the book of Romans. Probably written a little bit later, but Paul had led many people to Christ in Rome, and there was a church there, and uh, he names them by name, many that he knew quite personally. So uh, most, most evidently, uh, most of the Christians in, in Rome evidently weren't interested in Paul's situation or his well-being, and they weren't av- available to take Paul's message to the church at Philippi, which makes you scratch your head. Paul is taking Timothy and sending him away from him when there were these other Christians in Rome who evidently were either so new in the faith or unconcerned about Paul that he couldn't ask one of them to do it. So he asked Timothy to do it. By the way, I don't think he's bitter or disgusted when he writes verse 21. Look at verse 21 of this chapter. He says, for all seek their own. In other words, everybody's going about their own business. They got their own problem. They've got their own life. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. And again, I don't think Paul's bitter. I don't think he's disgusted in writing off the Roman Christian He's just simply stating the fact that they're all all busy. They're all occupied. By the way, would you rather be a chapter 221 Christian, all seek their own, not the things of Christ, or chapter 1, verse 21 kind of Christian? Look at chapter 121. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I would rather be a Philippians 121 Christian than a Philippians 221 kind of Christian. Lou Gehrig, I think you recognize that name, even for those of us who are not baseball followers. Lou Gehrig was first baseman for the New York Yankees. He died June 2nd, 1941, long time ago. He died of what's called ALS, or probably even more commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS. He died in 41. The doctors really didn't know how to treat him. It was new to them. They really didn't have a a treatment plan. So Lou was often in the hospital for long periods of time uh, as they experimented on him with various drug regimens, seeking something that would work or improve his condition. Just before he died, Lou Gehrig called his friend, Bob Considine, and he said, Bob, I have great news. The boys in the lab, talking about the the medical uh, professionals that were working in the lab, he said, the boys in the lab have come up with a new serum, and they've tried it out on 10 of us. It seems to be working well. In nine out of 10 cases, Bob Considine stopped him and said, is it working on you, Lou? Lou answered, well, no, my case is too advanced. But nine out of 10, how do, how do you like those odds? He was genuinely happy that nine out of 10, even though it didn't include him, that nine out of the 10 patients showed some kind of improvement. That's why Lou Gehrig was loved. That's why he is remembered so fondly because he was a selfless friend. 
Paul is talking about selfless friendship in this passage. And two of them have a name ascribed to them, Timothy, and the other one is Epaphroditus, who we'll look at in just a moment. They were selfless. They, they were not seeking after their own, like the Roman Christians. They were seeking after the needs of either Paul or the Philippian Christians. Let me ask you, on Sunday morning, on Sunday morning, do you ask yourself, why am I going to church? Am I going to church because I owe God a debt? He saved me and he requires my worship and my tithe? Or do you say, I'm carrying a heavy burden and, and I hope that through the service and the ministry of the Spirit that my burden will be lifted or at least lightened? Or do you say, I, I need the music, I need the preaching, I need the fellowship of God's people. I, I need it in my life to, because it, it, it sustains me. Or is it because you can say to yourself, I have a genuine interest in others. God has gifted me and I want to use my gifts in the local church and I want to minister to other people. Now, all of those earlier things that I mentioned are not necessarily bad. But all of us should be ministering to others. That's part of the, the dynamic, the beauty, the miracle of the local church, that we have these speaking gifts, these serving gifts, these signifying gifts. Paul puts them into those three categories. We'd say, for the most part, the signifying gifts have passed away. But we discover our gift. We develop our gift. We deploy our gift. And if you're not, if you're not even aware of what gift you have, and if you're not using it in service, then you're short-circuiting the body of Christ. You have something that God has gifted you with that is meant to be used within the local body. And we can excuse ourselves away, but that doesn't meet the need. and isn't what God intends for you. We should be ministering to others. And Paul highlights that here. Uh, when you become interested in others, the Bible tells us what psychologists also will affirm, that number one, it helps us forget about our own problems. And we all have problems. But it helps us forget about our own problems. Number two, it forges a relationship that will benefit us both now and probably in the future as well. As we minister others, it benefits us and it will benefit us in the future. The old axiom is still true. A friend in need is a friend indeed. And so we, we really look for needs. And we camp close to people that have needs because when we camp close to people that have needs, we will always have a ministry. That's why God puts us into the mix of, of people that have various problems and not everybody's mature, not everybody has sorted it all out, not everybody is sound in their doctrine, not everybody has worked through their personal problems, and God throws us into that mix so we can minister to one another. But if we run away, if we run out the doors as soon as the final amen is said, and we never get to know people, we never serve with them, that we never use our gifts, we never develop our gifts. That's not what God intended. Number two, 
The second exhortation I see here in verses 20 through 24 is practice genuine kindness to needy individuals. I know that sounds like about some pablum, some some, uh, feel-good talk, but it really is true. Practice genuine kindness to needy individuals. He says in verse 20, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your needs. For all seek their own and not the things that are of Christ. But you know his proven character. He's talking about Timothy. His proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, immediately, ASAP, as soon as I see how it goes with me here. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come to you shortly. Paul's saying, I hope I'm soon released and I can follow Timothy and I'll be with you there at the church at Philippi as well. Paul says of Timothy, notice this description. I don't have anyone like him who will take a genuine interest in you. That's what Paul says. There's no one in my missionary party, my evangelistic party, none of my close associates that will take the same kind of interest in you. Matter of fact, the word like-minded is the Greek word same-souled. He says, I don't have anyone with the same kind of soul for you that I have other than Timothy. He's same-souled as me. Paul is saying, really, with that phrase, we are kindred spirits. We have the same heartbeat for people. Timothy, heart beats after you or after um, uh, Christians or after lost people the same way my heart does. He was very different than Paul. We know that. Timothy was timid. He was very different than Paul, but he had the same kind of heart as Paul. And so Paul is sending him to the, to the church at Philippi and say, I've got nobody that is as like-minded as Timothy. No one that has the same soul, heartbeat as Timothy. Now, Timothy was drawn to be with Paul, not just because he was his spiritual mentor, or they both sought the well-being of the churches that had been planted, but Timothy also saw saw Paul as a needy individual who he could serve while he was at a low point in his life, this difficult time in his life where he was in prison. So let me ask you, are you on the lookout for people who have needs? Now, you'll get burned. We all have. I certainly have. But if you're on the lookout for people that have needs, you will always have a ministry. You'll always have a ministry. Great ministry opportunities come through hanging out with people who have needs. And Jesus did that very thing. He met people that had needs. And they become great ministry opportunities. The Special Olympics. The Special Olympics are famous for the special needs folks who compete with tremendous dedication, enthusiasm, and joy. One event is the 220-yard dash. At that event several years ago, contestants lined up at the starting line, 
and at the signal started running as fast as they could with all of their heart. And one boy by the name of Andrew quickly took the lead. He was way out, maybe 50 yards out in front of all the rest of the racers. And as he approached the final turn, he looked back, which you should never do in racing, but he looked back at that final turn and he saw his best friend had been jostled by the other runners and had been knocked to the ground on the track and was laying there crying. Well, he stopped. Andrew stopped. And he was not that far from the finish line. He looked at the finish line, then he looked back at his friend, and people were hollering, run, Andrew, run. And he did. He ran backwards, not, not running backwards like this. But he turned around, and he ran backwards to his friend, and he picked him up, and he dusted the cinders off, and then they completed the race dead last. They finished last, but the crowd still cheered because the crowd recognized that there are some things in life that are more important and more endearing than finishing first. And Andrew, Down syndrome child, understood that. And he validated it to everyone watching. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Sometimes we fall down in life. Sometimes we're pushed down in life or knocked down in life. And it's a wonderful thing to have a, a, a body of believers or at least a few within the church that come to us and they lift us up and they dust us off and they encourage us to get back in the race and not to drop out. And you and I need to be that person. Timothy was, Epaphroditus was, Paul was, we should be as well. Practice genuine kindness to needy individuals. And there's needy individuals all over. And yes, you'll get hurt. Yes, you'll get burned. But don't allow that to make you jaded in this idea of ministry. Number three, sacrifice everything in the service of God. Verses 25 through 30, let's read those. Paul is continuing, yet I considered it a necessity to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, but your messenger and one who ministered to my needs. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also lest I should have sorrow piling upon sorrow, is what Paul is saying. Therefore, I released him as well. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly. So he's ahead of Timothy. Paul dispatches Epaphroditus first. As, as soon as he gets well enough to travel, 
He, Paul dispatches Epaphroditus back to the church that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in high esteem. In other words, you, you put him, he's literally saying, you put him on a pedestal. You hold him up as an example. You herald him as a hero. Why? Because he's got a heart that beats for people. And he says, that's the kind of people that you ensconce as, as being a great Christian, someone that, that loves people and ministers to their need when they're hurting. And when he hears about others, he forgets about himself, even though he's been sick unto death, and he goes and travels back to you so he can minister to you. Receive him, therefore, verse 29, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in high esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death. He nearly died in his labors for the church, for Christ, he says. He worked himself, maybe we would say today, to the bone. He labored so intensely, he lost his health in the cause of Christ. Not regarding his life. It's an interesting Greek word. It's a gambling term. He looked at eternity. He looked at the needs of people. He looked at his life and said, I'm going to gamble with my life. I just assume put my life on the line for the cause of Christ. I'm going to gamble for God. If I live, I live. If I die in the cause, I die. That's what, that's what he's saying. He came close to death, not regarding his own life to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. You couldn't be here, so he ministered to me. And he did it so diligently, he wore himself out. Sacrifice everything in the service of God. So here's the story of Epaphroditus. Paul was all Jew. We know that. He talked about his lineage. Paul was all Jew. Timothy was half Jew and half Gentile. Epaphroditus was all Gentile. So here he's three different people, all Jew, half Jew, half Gentile, all Gentile, but they all had the same heart. They were all saved the same way. And here is Epaphroditus. He was saved. He was a member of the church at Philippi. And when Philippi heard that Paul was in jail and had needs, they sent one of their leading members, one of their most endearing members, and they sent Epaphroditus to go minister to Paul. So when they learned that Paul was in prison, they sent him. And Epaphroditus ministered to Paul as a source of encouragement and assistance, but Epaphroditus became seriously ill while he was in Rome. In fact, the Bible tells us that he almost died. We don't know of what, but he almost died. The news of Epaphroditus' sickness got back to the church at Philippi, and now they're worried not only is Paul our missionary that started our church, the evangelist Paul, the apostle Paul is in prison, but Epaphroditus is dying. And they became worried and, 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 and upset and concerned about him. Then Epaphroditus becomes distressed over their worry. That's a guy with a heart. He becomes worried, even though he was sick, that they were worrying for him. That's why Paul sent him back to show that he had recovered and what kind of a person he was. Look how Paul describes him here in these verses. He says, my brother, my fellow laborer, my fellow soldier, 
Paul calls him that. It is one of the most endearing descriptions used by the apostle anywhere in the New Testament. One of the most coveted uh, descriptive phrases describing a fellow laborer that we find Paul ever using of anyone else. My brother, my fellow soldier, my fellow laborer. Paul realized Epaphroditus' church family was worried, so Paul releases him to return home, even though that left Paul alone without Epaphroditus and now soon to be alone without Timothy. A true friend isn't smothering, isn't clingy, isn't controlling. I did this for you. I expect this back. Got to reciprocate. A true friend, let's go. Paul had some true friends, Epaphroditus, Timothy, and they did owe him a lot. He brought them to life. He brought them to life in Christ Jesus. But Paul wasn't clingy. He wasn't controlling. He wasn't manipulative. He He wasn't narcissistic. It wasn't all about Paul. Paul releases both of them to return home. So, remember that. Dating couples, remember that. Someone really loves you, they don't try and control you, manipulate you, keep you uh, on a short string. Parents need to realize that as well. We can't hang on to our kids forever. We have to, as much as we love them, unselfishly release them at some point. Husbands and wives can even apply this truth. We must be willing to give up. We must be willing to let go. We must be willing to sacrifice for God's work. That's that's what we see illustrated in this personal, detailed passage about Paul and his associates. Paul is willing to, to let go and make sacrifices for the good of the body, and so is Timothy, and so is Epaphroditus, and of course, even more importantly, so did Jesus. Jesus sacrificed ultimately for us. If these New Testament men, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and ultimately the Lord Jesus, if they are the yardstick that that we measure ourselves by when it comes to our service, when it comes to our, our sacrifice, how do we compare our unselfishness our thinking of needy individuals, our our desire to be a help when people are down. If they're the yardstick that we're measuring ourselves by, do we fall a little short? I'm going to guess all of us do. So I would ask you as we close, what are you sacrificing for the brethren in the church? What are you willing to sacrifice or are sacrificing for those that are outside the church, the lost outside of the church? Do you make sacrifices so they might hear the gospel? Do you take the gospel to them yourself as well as help others take the gospel? Sacrifice, service. They are the marks of true spirituality, of genuine Christianity. Thanks for listening to sermons from the pulpit at Red Rocks Baptist Church. 
For more information about our church, visit our website at www.redrocksbaptistchurch.org or follow us on Instagram at Red Rocks Baptist.